The following is an updated broadcast. Cortland Computer Services presents the Baseball Lifer Podcast. Well, hi there. Don Wardlow here. Baseball Lifer in Residence, and it's been a good week. We last week had Ricky Hill on before his movie The Hill opened up, and I understand it's going to continue in theaters everywhere. And because of that, I'm going to run Ricky Hill's podcasts for another week as you get a chance to go and take in this movie. And before we go to the actual interview that I did with Ricky and Jeff Salentano, his movie director. I'm going to talk about my experience with the movie. I went there. I haven't gone to a movie in many years. When you're blind, there's not much cause to go to most movies. But I went to this one. I'll tell you a little about it after I talk a little about what's going on in baseball this week. The Yankees got rid of Josh Donaldson. They gave him his unconditional release, so that's the last we'll see of him in the Bronx. He was hitting 142 when they let him go. And they put Harrison Bader, outfielder, on waivers, and the Cincinnati Reds claimed him. They picked him up, and the Reds picked up Hunter Renfro, who was one of the many guys the Angels let go of. And those two, believe me, Bader and Renfro are going to seem ancient compared to all the rookies that the Cincinnati Reds have brought up. Meantime, the Angels let several people go after the terrible injury to Shohei Otani. They put on waivers a number of men, three of whom got picked up by Cleveland. Cleveland searching for pitching. They picked up Lucas Giolito. Ronaldo Lopez, and Matt Moore, two relievers, and Jolito is a starter. Now, in Anaheim, Jolito did poorly. He had a 6.89 ERA, and Cleveland has already had one pitching nightmare with Noah Syndergaard, who they had to release, because he just had nothing left of the Noah Syndergaard, we remember from 2015 with the Mets. They're hoping for better with Lucas Giolito, who they picked up from the Angels. So I went to the movie The Hill this week after interviewing Ricky and his movie director, Jeff Salentano. And I will tell you, before I went there, the only review I was able to locate was not a particularly good one. Well, I'm going to reverse that. I'm going to give you a good one because I think this was a good movie. I enjoyed it. The only part that I found difficult to swallow was his dad's religion as it was portrayed in the movie. I don't want to throw any disrespect on the man, Mr. Hill, and I don't want to disrespect anybody's religion, but... He seemed quite harsh about it. He seemed heavy-handed with all of his kids, Ricky and the others. My faith does not lean as far as to say that I should not be a Yankee fan 
or that I shouldn't read the books that I read or sing the songs that I sing. I do not only sing about Jesus, believe me. I sing about drinking and cheating and being out of work and being miserable and things I know about. So I do sing a little about Jesus every now and then, but I'm not so religious that I can't sing about anything else. And Mr. Hill, as portrayed by Hollywood, and they've been known to take license, but as they portrayed him, he was a very hard man. And Ricky had to show considerable courage, not only to play the way he did, but to go over his dad's head. I count my blessings that my mom didn't try to keep me away from a broadcasting career. At one point in my boyhood, she thought I should be a musician. But when it became clear that the broadcasting was where my passion lay, mom didn't give me any heat over it. And she did listen to a couple of my ball games. She came down to Florida and visited me on a couple of occasions. And Mr. Hill, again, as the movie shows it, didn't go even to see Ricky in his tryout camp, which is difficult. But that all being said, it was a wonderful experience at the movie. I'm glad I did it. I hope other people will go and keep the hill in the theaters. Enjoy it. Have a, have a good couple of hours. I said it to Ricky and Jeff when the interview was going to start. I quoted the Ann Murray song, we sure could use a little good news today. And a little good news is what you're going to get when you hear Ricky and Jeff in an encore performance of their interview from last week. You'll hear Ricky and Jeff if you keep it right where it is. I am having such a problem at work. This is the second time this month I have had two computers down and I can't get my computer company to come to the office and fix them. I think they are too busy with other bigger companies. You know, I was having the same problem until we met Cortland Computer Services in Middlesex, New Jersey. They respond to most of my calls the same day, either by accessing my computers remotely or by sending a technician to my office. Wow, that would be great. It is such a disruption when the computers are not working properly. I need somebody that can come out see what's wrong, and fix it. On our first meeting, they surveyed our network for security, identified some problem areas, and set us up with security software designed to prevent malware, ransomware, and all of the other threats that are on the internet these days. They have been helping central New Jersey businesses for 30 years, and they have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. You should contact them either on the web at courtlandcomputerservices.com or by phone at 732-356-8860. 732-356-8860. CourtlandComputerServices.com. Tell them you heard about it on the Baseball Lifer podcast and get a $100 coupon toward your first two hours of computer services. Back with me on the Baseball Lifer podcast. And I mentioned in the opening, I quoted the song, we sure could use a little good news. And we're going to have some good news with the guests that I have here. Ricky Hill is one. Ricky, how you doing? Fine, sir. Thank you. And from Atlanta, movie director Jeff Salantano. How you doing, Jeff? 
I'm good. I'm temporarily in Atlanta, but I reside in St. Augustine, Florida, and uh, used to be in California up until a year and a half ago when I moved. Right on. I'm speaking to you from New Jersey. And oh, nice. The, That's where I grew up. Did you really? I did. South Jersey. No kidding. How far south? Uh, Long Beach Island, Beach Haven area on the coast. No kidding. I was educated at Glassboro. Which I know is it now, very well. I know now, Glassboro College. I was in Pemberton Township. Yeah, I used to uh, go to, uh, I went to Broward Community College for a short time and then moved, went to college in Florida after that. Now, if you've been watching ESPN lately, you may have seen trailers for a movie called The Hill. Now, I caught that trailer, and before that, I had received a couple of emails from people who associated with Ricky Hill, and they said, let's get Ricky Hill on your podcast. So I arranged for that, and then I saw these trailers and Guys, this looks like being a serious movie. Yeah, it's um, took me 17 years to get it made. And it's uh, it's Ricky's life story about um, the trials and tribulations of what he went through as a kid wearing leg braces. He had a disability and uh, he hit 2000 rocks a day on a railroad track because he was so poor. His father was a preacher played by Dennis Quaid. And um he had a dream of wanting to play baseball because he had this incredible ability to hit a rock and a stick. And um, he hit about 2000 rocks a day and that transitioned right into baseball and through a father who was um, not allowing him to play because he was a preacher and wanted Ricky to be a preacher and not to stray from that. He also wanted to protect him from the world because of his disability. He felt, how could this kid play baseball? You know, with a disability, he would get mocked, bullied, beat up and, probably end up in a wheelchair if he really tried to play with his bad legs. And then and then one tragedy after the other happened to Ricky. I don't want to give it away because you have to see the film. But he ended up going out and trying for the major leagues. And that's that and and what he did was a miracle in the end. You have to see the film. You would not believe it, Don. Now Ricky talked to me about growing up the way you did. Now when did you come to realize that there was something different about you from your buddies. When I was about six years old, um, you know, meeting friends, going starting school, uh, things like that, I started realizing it then uh, because um, it changed the uh, my viewpoint on everything, meeting a bunch of new people, people I didn't know. And um, it was just kind of a, a little difficult um meeting people that you hadn't really seen before starting in school for the very first time. Now, for me, I wanted to be in radio from about as early as I can remember wanting anything. And at first I wanted to be a disc jockey. Now, it wasn't till high school that I decided I wanted to try broadcasting baseball on the college level. Now, when did you think, well, now I see these guys playing baseball. Why don't I try it for myself? Uh, eight years old. Uh, when I yanked the braces off, my idea was in automatically in. I was just too good not to, and uh, I didn't. I couldn't. I couldn't help not support this game because I was just. I had. I had it down. It was built in. Uh, nothing I could really do about it, but I loved it. Just loved the game. So therefore, I took it too serious. Very serious. And even took it with my father very serious. 
I was going to tell you that Ricky had an ultimatum from his father. He said, Ricky had this unbelievable ability to be a preacher because he, he started preaching to the family at eight, imitating his father. And he was too good at it. So he ended up um, convincing his father without his, without him knowing it, that he, <laughs> that he was a great preacher. So his father did not want him to play baseball and want him to follow that path. So Ricky did the impossible. You know, he, he uh, came to his father and he said, listen, uh, God put me on this earth for two things, preaching with fire and playing baseball. I can't do one without the other pops. And dad said, you got to make a choice. And he said, I just did. I just told you I'm going to play. I'm going to do both because God put me here to do both. <laughs> now, so, you did mention the leg braces, Ricky, and I should have mentioned it before that. But what was the cause of you having to wear leg braces to start with? Well, in the 50s, they didn't really know what the problem was. My legs were wrapped around one another. All I knew is it tied into my spine later on in life. My legs were not, uh, they couldn't hold themselves. And we'd already mentioned about your dad, but on the way to that, before your dad, you know, put it to you and without pulling any punches, before that, did, did you play baseball on the junior high or high school level was that allowed yes yeah i played on both levels i played uh i played uh, uh i even played little league the very end of little league and also um also pony league colt league all those leagues all the way up through high school and with the condition that you had now i don't understand all that much about it but i'm guessing you must have had a lot of pain to deal with, and, and you had to say, well, I'm going to play anyway. Well, yeah, I, I always had pain. I never, I don't think I've ever played without pain, but, but, uh, but I mean, the pain got better when I was, uh, when I got out of the leg braces, uh, everything was starting to turn back to normal, I thought, but I, at the same time, I didn't know that I had a degenerative spinal disease at the same time. So, but everything went, everything was getting well, getting great because I was making good contact with the ball, hitting a lot of home runs and uh, um, moving in a good direction where I'll be very, going very high in the draft. This is the Baseball Lifer podcast. Don Wardlow here with Ricky Hill and movie director Jeff Salentano. The movie is called The Hill. Ricky, were you actually drafted how did you get to be with the expos in 1975 well i had to uh, i had to go work my way there because i i had uh, hurt my ankle basically no one wanted me not even a college wanted me then i had to go to the uh, tryout camp for the expos and that's where my whole life changed i can't give the story away but that's where my whole life changed you had presumably already had the talk with your dad and now you were leaving the wide open spaces of Fort Worth for an entirely different entirely different everything yes. Lethbridge Alberta that's in Canada that's another country and you're a kid of 19 or 20 18 had, years old had to be a huge difference for you yes it was and you you got very lucky in 1975 with the Lethbridge Expos one of your teammates is in Cooperstown, and his name is Andre Dawson. Tell me that's, about him. That's correct. Just a great guy. 
Uh, we both started our first years together. He he'd already had four years of college. Um, I hadn't had any because I was just eighteen, and uh, uh, he took care of me all the time. Made sure that it, he protected me. You were roommates, right, Rick? Yeah, yeah. Because I was so young. I was just so young that people take advantage of me and things like that. So he protected me quite a bit. Now the next two years, I've had difficulty finding information about the teams you were with the Rio Grande Valley White Wings and the Texas City Stars were they both Expos farm teams what no what they were was believe not they um when the Expos found out about my spine uh that's when they let me go and my scout sent me down he he got my contract and he sent me down to play he was with the Toronto then and then I went down basically as a, from what I'm gathering, a Blue Jay. And uh, I played there uh, in that league. In fact, I even forgot about that league. I didn't even, I don't remember you until you just said it. Um, and then I played there and then he took me for in for two years. And his name was Bobby Maddox. He, he wound up managing the uh, Toronto Blue Jays for a couple of years. And then the last stop along your path was the Grays Harbor loggers which i believe is in the state of washington again i haven't had a whole lot of luck finding out much about that ball club so tell me about that that was that's, your final year yeah that's a cut well not really everybody thinks it is but it wasn't uh, they don't have it down just just because the it's on baseball reference doesn't mean it's all right um um i went there to uh i went there because that's where they sent me there um uh from 78 let's see yeah bobby had sent me there too as well and uh then I, my my plans were leaving there from the manager because he was leaving going to the padres as um the general manager of the padres and i was planning on following his footsteps with him and he'd asked me to already and so um that's when the I, was, I even went out the very next year as well, and that's when I collapsed. And when you say you collapsed, was this during spring training or? Yeah, during spring training. Uh huh. What happened? I uh, dove head first in second base, and I, I didn't have any legs after that. How did you keep going after I left baseball? I was with Alamon Red Car, and then I was with Blue Cross. What kind of things have you done to keep going from there to here? Um, yeah, I'm a financial planner today, but um, that's about as far as it goes. I, I did that and uh, for years and um, and then plus I also gave some hitting hitting instruction. And Jeff Salantano is with us. He's the director of the movie The Hill. Now, like my own story where I asked one broadcaster after another on the college level, would they work with a blind partner? One by one, they all said no. And apparently, from what I've heard, Jeff, R Ricky went through one director after another, and they all said yeah. no. What was the difference with you? It's one of those things when you meet somebody, you know, instantly it just works. Um, Ricky, um, we had many funny things happen. Um, when he, my brother met him in a lobby of a hotel, um, he didn't know him from anything. He heard him. Overheard phone telling him how frustrated he was trying to find a director to tell his story. 
And my brother just interrupted him after he was off and said, perfect director for your movie. And Ricky said, who are you? And my brother said, I'm just a guy with a, a great brother that I want to introduce you to. Here's the phone. And next thing I know, I'm talking to Ricky. And as soon as we talked, Ricky laughed because he thought the whole thing was funny. And um, we just, he kind of felt like this is how things happen. Like here he is, when you look for something, you never find it. But here he wasn't looking. My brother was just there by accident. And um, as soon as we talked, Ricky and I just had an immediate connection and we kind of bonded on the phone. And then Ricky said, when he saw me walk in the room, he felt just this kinship immediately, like just something about me. I don't know what it was. Maybe the way I danced into the room. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but he um, he uh, immediately um, said to me, uh, you know, I want to send you the script tonight and I want you to read it and then we'll meet tomorrow. And uh, I read the script that night and I just fell apart. I just cried my eyes out reading the script. It was so powerful. And um, And then I just told him, look, I, I know you're meeting a lot of people that just tell you how good they are, or tell you what they're going to do. And I'm a little different. I believe in showing. So I created a video model of the movie with other movies like The Natural, The Blind Side, things like that. And I, um, I, uh, the, I put those movies together in a reel and I took Ricky to my house and I showed him what his movie was going to look like. And I, I list, let him listen to the music of the composer that I wanted. And he was sold right there. He said, nobody has ever done this. All they've done is talk. And you actually showed me. And then I had to fly to Texas and convince his partner who had been through the ringer with a lot of people who were dishonest and things like that. And I flew there and met Mike Bluebaugh, his partner. And Mike and I just bonded also. And then, of course... Um, you know, they were still suspect of of trusting someone because they had been burned by so many people trying to change the story, trying to take the faith out of it, all those kind of things. And I didn't have any of those issues. I was I wanted to make Ricky's story true and stay honest to his life. And so that's kind of how it all came together. The movie is called The Hill. It's the story of Ricky Hill, who's one of our guests. It's starring Dennis Quaid as your dad, Ricky, and what would you have to say about Dennis Quaid playing the role of your dad? I couldn't ask for anyone anyone greater. Um, he hit it right to a T on playing my father. Every move that he made kind of reminded me of my father, uh, whether he even knew it or not. It just he, did. he even looks like Ricky's father. We had his picture on the wall next to Ricky's dad, and people said. That is incredible. He looks exactly like him. And, you know, Jeff, from a lot of good books I've read, they say how long they took to get written. And this story, from the time you two connected, it wasn't anything like a story done overnight, not even close. <laughs> no, it took 17 years of um, many hurdles, just one roadblock after the other, just like Ricky's career. And um, when I got Angelo Pizzo, the writer of Rudy and Hoosiers, who wrote the script, and then I got Scott Marshall Smith to adapt the script with the faith element, um, we had two of the best writers in sports movies. Scott wrote um, uh, The Score. He wrote When the Game Stands Tall. He also wrote the movie Men of Honor with De Niro and um, Cuba Gooding Jr. And But his father was a pastor, and he could he could really 
build the faith element into the movie a lot stronger than anybody I had met. And Angelo, being the fact that he had written Rudy, one of my favorite sports movies of all time, it inspired me beyond belief. Um, once I got those two, two people on, the movie became really real for people. And they took it seriously. And then we started to get momentum from there. And still many roadblocks and hurdles, just because movies are not easy to get made, especially human stories that they feel don't have a foreign appeal. But this movie is not about baseball. This movie is about family. It's about bringing a family together and a little boy trying to find the love of his father. And um, everybody can relate to that. There's only a couple of games in the movie that are very, um, very small in the movie. I think one of them lasts about eight minutes and the other one lasts about 10 minutes. The rest of the movie is all about the family and their journey and what what happens to Ricky and his life being bullied and fighting through all that stuff and, and just keeping that smile on his face all the time that he's going to do what he wanted to do. Question for Ricky Hill. One thing, especially as ballplayers get older, those bus rides that start out as a lark, they, they get longer and longer and longer the older you get. Now, you had this condition with your back, and so you had even more painful bus rides than I did even early on in your career. Those had to be difficult and had to take a lot of faith and a lot of trust that you could do something to make these long bus rides worthwhile. Yeah, I got smart. I laid in the floor. I made good a pallet. good idea. I should have done that. Yeah, I made a pallet and laid the floor on all of them. I actually tripped over a couple of ball players who were smart enough to do that. But from Lethbridge, you had to have some massive bus rides in your very first year. Oh, yeah, we did. We had lots of them. Uh, even when I left there, I left and I went and played winter ball after that. And, uh, um, of course, we this was in Florida. And uh, I left there and went and played in Venezuela. They were all short trips, made it very easily. But um, uh, not in Canada. Yeah, they were long. They were long trips. Now I didn't know you played in Venezuela, and that had to be a fascinating experience for you. It was. It was very, very fascinating. What about the the issues you had here in the U.S. of A.? Were there people down there who didn't think you ought to be playing baseball on their team because of your handicap? No, not at all, because I could play just as good as they could. I hit the ball as far as anybody. Uh, that wasn't, I wasn't at that time battling it out as hard as each year got a little harder with the, with the pain, but each, each year I also got better as well. And, uh, I hit, hit a lot of home runs and, uh, a lot of the, uh, latter part of my years, it actually got somewhat easier for me because I learned the pitching. Got to remember, I just started at 18. That's tough coming out of there, and you're facing 100-mile-an-hour pitching right out of the gate when you're leaving high school. And by the end, you were in your early 20s, and you had a ton of home runs for the Grays Harbor Ball Club. Yeah, I did. I, I led the league in home runs. I actually hit 18, not 15. But that was a mistake in the uh, baseball reference. But I hit 18, and... In, in two months. And then uh, I went on that year and had a great year the whole year. Um, from then on, I left, like I said, I left there and I went on to, uh, I even went to Venezuela and I also um, 
uh, played a little bit in Texas League too, and uh, I played I played in everywhere I could get find a spot, you know, where they could where they could give you a good look. Talking with Ricky Hill and movie director Jeff Salentano, the movie is The Hill. Jeff, I'm not a big movie guy. I mean, not many blind people are big movie guys. What little I know about a movie is, you know, I sit back in the chair, open up a box of candy and eat the candy and listen to the movie. Now, what does a movie director do? (laughs) I have a great answer for you, Don. A movie director answers about 500 questions a day. (laughs) That's... Um, somebody, my, my, uh, son-in-law gave me a mug for Christmas and it said on the mug, being a film director is like riding a motorcycle, except that motorcycle's on fire. <laughs> wow. So, so it. it's a, it's a crazy job. Um, you basically are in control of the whole vision of the movie. You start, you know, there's many different kinds of directors, many different kinds of producers as like Don, if you gave me a story, uh, your dad had a story and you handed it to me and I got that movie made, you would become a producer. Um, you'll see your name on the movie and everybody go, Don, you're producing a movie. How did you know how to do that? And you go, I didn't do anything. I just gave the director a script. I mean, there's so many different ways. And then there's other producers like Warren Osiergaard, my partner on the film, who's a nuts and bolts, hands-on, really experienced guy who knows how to make a movie from the ground up. You know, we're, we, we always like to say we're in the trenches together. Um, Directing a movie, you have to do everything. Pick the color of the cars, pick the cars, pick the wardrobe, pick the hats, pick pick the purses, pick the whatever whatever baseball bat they're using. You pick that. You pick the color of the uniforms for, you know, talking about the hill. You pick the wardrobe of Dennis Quaid, of the wife, of the sons, of the kids. You pick the locations. You pick the style of the movie, the color. And then you hire the main crew. The, the, the guys that really are the heavyweight guys that, that make the film look the way it does and sound the way it does. You hire the director of photography, who's the guy who shoots the picture, who's legend. Usually I like to get legendary guys uh, because they've already proven themselves. And then you have to hire a sound guy who's expert because sound is really important. And then you have to hire um, uh, music, a composer that has the feel of the music. You're the guy who makes all those decisions, although the producer before you shoot the movie, it's kind of your movie with the producer. And then when the movie starts to shoot, the director pretty much takes over and it's his movie. They leave you alone. If they know the protocol of films, they kind of leave you alone. Some some of these producers don't know the protocol and I have to educate them quickly. <laughs> but but you, usually I get have my vision for the whole film. And then you have the movies usually shoot this size about six weeks people think it's you know years but you know a spielberg movie might shoot eight months this movie shot six weeks and then you then you edit it and do the sound and that takes about another five months so all in all a movie like the hill would take you to finish it's taken us a year and a half to do all the little touches and quality of the movie really took a lot of time to make sure we instilled it in the film so it's a pretty hefty job and had you directed other movies before The Hill? Yes, I've directed about 12 other films um, total. Um, I've had, you know, I did a movie in New York with Buster Rhymes and Tom Berenger. I did a movie with Diane Lane and William Peterson in in New York. Um, did uh, I've done a lot of movies. Um, and I was an actor before that. 
for like 30 years and I did I did a lot of television shows like Dynasty. I was on Dynasty for a while and Magna PI and Trapper John, if you remember that old show. I have a quick question, quick statement I wanted to tell you, though. Yeah. Based on what you just asked me. Um, I've been making movies my whole life. I, I've been since I was 20 years old, I've been acting and now making movies since 1995 as a director. And I have to tell you that The Hill by far supersedes any movie I've ever done. It is the most beautiful, lyrical, beautiful story I've ever done. What it's doing to people out there. Everybody's crying when they see it. Uh, emotionally, it gets you right in your heart uh, because this little boy and what he went through is just it's its hard to believe that he did this and accomplished what he accomplished. And so I'm very proud of this movie. Um, I watch it all the time when when I have to do quality control or I have to check something or sound or whatever. And every movie theater I ever go to, usually directors walk out because they've seen their movie a thousand times. I never walk out. I sit through all the movie screenings because I just love this movie. Um, and like Ricky, I'm hoping to hit a home run on on uh, August 25th. Um, I put so much into this and so did the finance people. They believed in it so much that it's not a studio behind it, it, it that funded it. This is a single man who came aboard with a couple other investors and they 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 got involved and they believed in the movie. So it's really important for me to have people buy tickets this weekend to show the love so that this movie will last in the theaters. Ricky Hill, you got to do something on a big stage that I've done on a small stage. You got to throw out the first pitch at the game at Arlington last week at uh, the Rangers ballpark. Tell, tell me about that experience. Well, honestly, I just got asked that question last night from a friend of mine. And uh, I. It just seemed like when I went out with her, it wasn't uh, she asked me if I was scared or anything and or nervous. And the answer is no. I never even look at a crowd. Uh, period. Um, yeah, it was a packed stadium and all that, you know, 40, 50,000 people there. But just like I did it bad, I never even noticed that they were even there. Because once you get that kind of scared feeling, uh, you're going to lose. And um, a crowd never bothered me. In fact, the bigger the crowd, the better off for me. But I, I just like the idea of uh, going out there. You know, I, you know, I didn't play as a pitcher in – uh, I, early young in my life, I did, but um, I went out there the other night and just had the greatest time ever, especially my good friend that caught the pitch was Benji Gill, and we're dear friends today. And um, it's just a, it was a, like a, a, like a good, happy ending, really, for, um, for something of baseball, you know, something that you put out there. Um, I enjoyed every second of it. And you know what he Ricky told me, Don? He said that he was he was so dying to grab that baseball bat and start hitting. <laughs> I knew that. I thought, I thought about him last night. I was getting ready to go to bed, and I said, I wonder what Ricky really was feeling when he was out on that field. And I remember he had said in an interview he couldn't wait to pick up a bat and play the game with the team, but that wasn't going to happen. But. I hear that. The last minor league game I was at, I was, oh, man, I wish I could be upstairs broadcasting what's going on. Yeah, the movie is The Hill. It's in the theaters, and my guests have been Ricky Hill, the man of the hour, the man of the story, and his director Jeff Salentano. Guys, thank you both. Thank you so much. Thank Don. you, sir. Pleasure. Thanks, Don. 
We'll be back in a minute with the wrap-up and a few words about next week's show. Keep it right where you got it. I'm having such a problem at work. It's the second time this month. I've got two computers down, and I can't get my computer repair company to come to the office to fix them. I think we are too busy with other bigger companies to help us. You know, I was having the same problem until we met Cortland Computer Services in Middlesex, New Jersey. They respond to most of my calls the same day, either by accessing my computers remotely or by sending a technician to my office. Wow, that would be great. It is such a disruption when our computers are not working properly. I need someone who can see what's wrong and fix it. On our first meeting, they surveyed our network for security, identified some problem areas, and set us up with security software designed to prevent malware, ransomware, and all of the other threats that are on the internet these days. They've been helping central New Jersey businesses for 30 years, and they have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. You should contact them either on the web at courtlandcomputerservices.com or by phone at 732-356-8860. 732-356-8860, courtlandcomputerservices.com. Tell them you heard about them on the Baseball Lifer podcast and get a $100 coupon toward your first two hours of services. Back with you on the Baseball Lifer podcast. Don Wardlow here. We gave a second run to Ricky Hill because the movie The Hill is going to stay in theaters. Hopefully you'll get a chance to see it. One thing I didn't pick up on when I was interviewing Ricky was the name of his coach, who, after the Expos let him go, this coach, Bobby Maddock by name, picked him up and kept him in the Blue Jays organization for another three seasons. Bobby Maddock was quite a scout. He found Frank Robinson, Kurt Flood, Rusty Staub, Le Grand Orange, Don Baylor, and Gary Carter. And a couple of those guys, Frank Robinson and Gary Carter in particular, are in the Hall of Fame. And they are Bobby Maddox's legacy. Bobby Maddox did manage the Blue Jays for a couple of seasons, 1981 and 1982. So when we come back next week following the Labor Day holiday, I hope to bring you sports photographer, sports historian, Bob Busser. That's who you should expect to hear next week on the Baseball Lifer podcast. Until then, this is Don Wardlow. Have a good week. (laughs) 